Welcome to the Alhambra Source Podcast, the show that brings the diverse sound, stories, and news of Alhambra and the San Gabriel Valley to life. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Alhambra Source and your host, Phoenix So. This interview was recorded in our office in the city of Alhambra, a multi-ethnic suburb of Los Angeles. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was a law that targeted Chinese immigrants and barred them from immigrating to the United States and becoming naturalized citizens from 1882 to 1943. On Monday, December 17, 2018, local elected leaders and representatives from various APA and regional community organizations, including OCA LA, the Chinese American Museum, and the San Gabriel Valley Civic Alliance, to name a few, hosted a press conference to observe the 75th anniversary of the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Repeal Act, also known as the Magnuson Act of 1943. State representatives and city council members from Alhambra, San Gabriel, and Monterey Park spoke to press and reviewed the tragic history of the act. Keynote speakers echoed that the exclusion practices focused on immigrants and minorities should always be removed from United States law. Representative Judy Chu was among the speakers. Well, thank you. It is so wonderful to be here with the great leaders of the San Gabriel Valley and the Chinese American community for this very important occasion the 75th anniversary of the repeal of the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. As chair of the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus in Washington, D.C., and the first Chinese American woman ever elected to Congress, I'm honored to join with all of these incredible leaders to highlight this important milestone so that we can reflect on how far the Chinese American community has come past, over the past 75 years since the Chinese Exclusion Act. In recognition of the 75th anniversary, we take a look at the journey of one Pasadena family whose family history was nearly lost due to the Chinese Exclusion Act. Baldwin Shu and Larissa Lam are musicians and documentary filmmakers. In their film, Finding Cleveland, they embark on a life-changing expedition to solve the mystery of Baldwin's lost grandfather, who left China when Baldwin's father was a baby. They trace him to Cleveland, Mississippi, and discover a lot about the Chinese experience in the Deep South during the Jim Crow era. Larissa and Baldwin, welcome to the Alhambra Source podcast. Hey, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Um, can, to start off, can you tell us a little bit about the documentary? Um, sure. So the, the documentary Finding Cleveland, first of all, we should probably uh, clarify that we are married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the journey to, fi- to make Finding Cleveland was really... Um, it's about our discovery of my grandfather and great grandfather buried there, and it's a the film kind of takes you on this little journey of our two day less than two day experience and um, really kind of through Larissa's eyes as an outsider because she's uh, it was basically from about my family and my grandfather my great grandfather and and Larissa was able to tell it from her perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think when we went on to Cleveland, Mississippi three and a half years ago, um, you know, what you see in the film is the the people and, and discoveries we made um, having gone there not knowing anything. And so, um, you know, it's been a remarkable experience. Finding Cleveland is not only a documentary project for you two, but also an emotional journey for your entire family. What inspired you to embark on this journey? Um, I think the first thing really was my daughter. Um, when she was born, I would see... Uh, my father hold her, and I was thinking, oh, wow, this is what it looks like to have a grandfather, because I never had a grandfather. And even seeing Larissa's father, you know, holding her, uh, I was like, wow, there's two grandparents, right? I didn't even, I, 
she has she is so fortunate to have two grandparents, two sets of grandparents, and I I didn't have any. Um, so um, that really was the first inspiration, and then eventually my my brother was saying, hey, you know. Uh, it's our parents' uh, anniversary, 40th anniversary. Uh, let's let's go out there. Let's let's figure out what's in Mississippi. So you didn't hear a lot about your grandfather growing up. What kind of effect did his absence have on your family? Um, well, for me, I mean, I've never had a a grandfather, and so I think for my dad, um, he never had an opportunity to learn how to be a father. So not only was you know, I think I have a better understanding of, of where it came from now because there was obviously a lot of tension uh, between me and my father since I was born here in America and he wasn't. Uh, he never had a father figure. And I would assume there was some bitterness, you know, in their families because, you know, they, they felt like their, their father abandoned them. You know, And so when my dad finally came over here when he was 14, he was also brought here not on his own choice. You know, his his grandmother brought him over. So now he's taking care of his grandmother while he's 14 years old. So I think that affected our family quite a bit because my, when I was finally born, when we got married and I was born, he had absolutely no idea what a family unit looked like. Definitely didn't know what it looked like in China because he didn't have a family unit in China. And he definitely didn't know what a family unit looked like in America. And all of a sudden you had this American-born kid and he's trying to raise a family. So I think I think it it affected us as far as our identity went. You know, who were we? You know, where do, who do we belong to? And your father, he ended up going to Mississippi with you. Was he initially interested in looking for your grandfather? I it's kind of a mixed bag for him. You know, I think he goes back and forth. Um, I think he avoided it so much of his life because he didn't really want to go back. But then when me and my brother showed interest in going. Uh, I think, and then my mom encouraged him. He's like, hey, you know, it's good for your family. You know, you have a granddaughter now. She should probably know what's her what's her heritage. You know, does she belong in this country, you know? And so uh, I think once we got to Mississippi, that's when he, he really started opening up. I think Larissa was the first time he's ever heard anything yeah, about that. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that, you know, both he and his brother were like, we didn't know all this information. All of a sudden he just started. I think it was like a therapy session for him, <laughs> this whole this whole journey. You know, it's interesting how you guys discovered your grandfather's story. Um, it seems to be fragmented among, you know, pictures, what people recall. How do you feel about discovering history like that as opposed to, like, reading a textbook? From my perspective, I grew up in Southern California my whole life. Um, I had never been to Mississippi. And um, I literally thought we were going to find two Chinese men buried, you know, in the cemetery in, in Mississippi. And when I discovered that there were thousands and generations of of Chinese that had lived in the South, um, I, I was just floored. I, I was like, why isn't this in our history books? And so the fact that, one, I wasn't really a history buff at all prior to this, um, but the fact that I was a good student. So, you know, I, I, I passed out of AP history and um, learned all about, you know, the essentials that we learned. And then to find out, like, this is a pivotal part of American history. We're talking about segregation. We're talking about the American South. We all learn that. And yet there's no mention of the Chinese there. Um, I think, you know, for me, that started to really open up my eyes and kind of piecing this all together. One, you know, in our film, one of our first stops, um, spoiler alert, is we find the Mississippi Delta Chinese Heritage Museum. And we're like, this is in the middle of Mississippi and there's a museum About with Chinese. Chinese. 
And you're going, I mean, you only find those in like major metropolitan cities in the U.S. And you're like, and then you walk in, you're like, oh my gosh, there hadn't been a significant population for them to actually have a museum. And I mean, that's where I just started soaking it in. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. These pictures and these mementos and these people's lives. Um, And so I, I feel like it was actually... It made a better, stronger impact on me because I wasn't just reading it in an article or in, in a textbook. I, I definitely could say that history was not my favorite subject growing up. And I can attest to that. <laughs> I, I really did not like history uh, classes. And I really think the reason I didn't like history class was because I didn't think I could relate to it because none of the history was about me. After I saw this and I we, we made all those discoveries and we saw photos and and, well, even video clips, uh, eventually, of all these old Chinese people in the Mississippi Delta. I'm like, now I'm interested. Now it connects to me. But um, so I, I think, I think, uh, not seeing them in the textbooks it kind of does dis- does a disservice to everyone, all students, because I would imagine I'm not the only one that finds history boring. And if we had history that actually told the stories of so many different groups and our significance in America, um, it would probably spark a lot more interest. Hello, Alhambra Source podcast listeners. Did you know that Alhambra Source is a nonprofit organization? That means our funding comes from individual donations from readers and listeners like you. This year, we are teaming up with Newsmatch, a grassroots matching gift campaign dedicated to growing fundraising capacity of nonprofit newsrooms around the country. Through December 31st, Newsmatch will match your new monthly donation 12 times or double your one-time gift, all up to $1,000. We can earn up to $25,000 in matching dollars, which means Alhambra Source can raise $50,000 in total before the end of 2018. If you've already made a donation, Thank you. If you haven't and you enjoy our reporting, make a donation today. Visit our donation page in the description. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. The Chinese Exclusion Act barred the Chinese community from immigrating to the U.S. and from becoming naturalized citizens until 1943. That's over 60 years of exclusion. How did it feel discovering this form of institutionalized racism against Chinese communities? Um, you know, first of all, um, growing up, I didn't really learn that much about the Chinese Exclusion Act. I mean, now in the state of California, they've passed, you know, legislation where it's it's, it's going to be taught in schools. Um, and so um, I think I only learned about the Chinese Exclusion Act, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. And, um, and then digging into the story, I didn't really know that it would have a direct impact on Baldwin's family. Um, And there's so many little things about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, You know, there were there were some exemptions. Um, People can come in as merchants. They can come in as scholars and they can come in as diplomats. Um, But by and large, most people were barred and and nobody who was Chinese of, of race. So you could be from England and be Chinese and come into this country, but you still couldn't be a citizen. Um, And. And there, you know, and I think you mentioned um, 
you know, it was repealed in 1943, and, and that was because of World War II. And if it wouldn't been for World War II because they wanted China as an ally, they probably wouldn't have been repealed, sadly. You know, it was politics that dictated um, some change there. Um, and honestly, and after that, sure, we could become citizens, but there was a quote of 105 up until 1965 with the passage of the Naturalization and Immigration Act. Um, and so if you want to extend it to 65 as far as kind of those restrictions, it's it's been a really long time, and I think what a lot of people don't realize, too, is that the Chinese Exclusion Act is is really the beginning of our immigration system here in the U.S. as we know it with restrictions. Because prior to that, people would just come. It was pretty much open borders. It was open borders. <laughs> um, and people would – I mean, I think they would have to register and go through Ellis Island or, you know, and, and ports of, of entry, but there were no restrictions until the Chinese Exclusion Act. Talking about this history – why do you think it has been lost? <laughs> well, part part of it is we don't tell it. Um, the, I mean, we don't tell it on both sides. Um, regular mainstream America doesn't probably want to tell the stories because it's dark, it's dirty, it's ugly, um, and it doesn't really paint a positive light sometimes. But it's important that those lights are painted because we need to understand what happened. But on the other side, we in the Chinese community, the Asian American community, even in the Asian immigrant community, there are people, believe it or not, that are in their upper 90s and in China that know the story because they were forced to leave America at some point or their parents were forced to leave at some point and they know the story. But they don't talk about it. And they don't talk to our generation about it. They don't talk to the younger generation about it because they think that it's dirty, it's dark. They feel like, oh, well, th there's no sense in digging into the past. We're successful now, so let's, let's just move forward. But then what that ends up doing is that it creates um, a sense of loss. It creates a sense of we didn't have any ownership in the past. And so we, what we have now has nothing to do with the past. And so uh, I think part of it is, is our fault, too. We don't talk about it. You know, and, and I understand why they don't, because it, it hurts. You know, my dad didn't want to talk about it uh, because it brought up a lot of pain. But that actually did me a disservice when I grew up. Because I did not know how to react to the way people made comments about me in school about, I shouldn't be here. You're not a real American. Why do you speak English so well? Right? And if I knew my history, I would have responded a whole lot differently rather than with anger or with sadness or with confusion or with hurt. Baldwin and Larissa, we have to wrap up soon, but we have a couple of closing questions. What's next for Finding Cleveland? Well, you know, with the, sh the the success of this documentary short, you know, we've been traveling over the whole the, the whole country. We've done, I think, over 100 screenings across the country. And now we're moving into getting the film into um, more schools and the education system. But we discovered so much more stuff since the film came out. Um, for instance, I don't think we revealed this yet, right? Not but here, no. um, we went to the National Archives um, in San Bruno near San Francisco a year ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we discovered something. All right, getting ready, ready for this big bombshell because Baldwin, you thought you were the first person in your family to be born in this country up until last yep. year. So I was always been proud to be American because I was the first one in my family born here. But then we found my great grandfather's birth certificate. Born in 1877. So we're going to reveal that in the new documentary in hopefully a very cool and exciting way. Uh, but it, it changes our whole dynamics. A year ago, uh, how I felt about an American. As you thought you were a newer immigrant family. Yeah, now I'm like, I feel more American. I feel like this is more my country now than ever before. 
And that's it for this episode of the Alhambra Source podcast. Thank you again to Larissa Lamb and Baldwin Chu for joining us. Follow the Finding Cleveland film on Facebook and Instagram at Finding Cleveland. That's F-I-N-D-I-N-G-C-L-E-V-E-L-A-N-D. Since our interview, the two have started a podcast about Chinese food, entertainment, and history. The podcast is called Love, Discovery, and Dim Sum. Find out more about the project in the description. This episode was produced and edited by Phoenix So and Dominic Tovar. Support comes from the Tao Center for Journalism at Columbia University. To our neighbors in Alhambra and the San Gabriel Valley, this podcast is for you. Listen and read more community stories about the issues affecting our beloved Alhambra, gateway to the SGV at alhambrasource.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alhambra Source. Alhambra Source is a project of the 501c3 nonprofit Community Partners, which means our independent reporting and transparent journalism is supported by grants and donations. Donate and support local journalism. I'm Phoenix So. Thank you for listening.